listening to the OKest Fisher Podcast, part of the OKest Podcast Network, featuring your hosts, Matt Strine and Greg Tubbs. Hey there, welcome back to the OKest Fisher Podcast. Matt and I are both coming at you from the basement as usual. Hey, it's our podcast studio. It is our <laughs> podcast studio. <laughs> so... We we got through episode one of the the musky mayhem extravaganza, right? Fall musky school, but yes, yeah. that's a cool title too. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so, ton of good information there. We're gonna go into part two here on this episode for this week, talking more about how to tune baits up, and uh, you know we get into some stories and some some rabbit holes on this one, but very good information on like if. You're not familiar with how to tune dive and rise baits. We talk a bunch about how to tune those baits to do different things, to act differently during different conditions, using different size baits. Very informative. And even some tips on bringing those old lures that haven't seen the light of day or gotten wet in years, how to make those perform just as well today as they did back then. Yeah, making making what uh, what Mike would say, making what, is was old now new again yes yeah and anything in the musky world where you can put to your advantage is always worth listening to and tinkering because you don't get a lot of bites and if you can get something that triggers a fish that maybe they haven't seen in 20 years that could be the key in uh one or two or three fish day compared to a no fish day right you know so if you got that one crusty old dive and rise call it a, a suet call it a whatever you got in the box that you know the old jerk bait the old baseball bat with, with eyeballs painted on it <laughs> that might be the key if it hasn't been out of the out of the garage in a while maybe you need to take it for a spin maybe you need to give it a little tune up especially on pressured waters where they see a lot of the new baits they see a lot of the more common baits that could be the difference in like i said catching fish just throwing something they haven't seen before sure well take a listen See what you think. I believe you're going to learn something out of this episode. Cool. So now we're going to hit hard on fall fish. All right. Now, I have a question for Brian. (laughs) When you start fall fishing, I know you mentioned that you don't necessarily slow down much. Um, But I will say that when it comes to diving rise yeah. and glides, I will start doing much larger pulls and slower rises and larger rips and slower rises. Agreed. Um, One thing I like to do on the dive and rise is really start playing with a little bit of weight, right? And slow mm-hmm. the rise even more to that painful level, the colder it gets, right? And then once you're starting to get into that, you know, you're a month after turnover. You're you're getting to really cold water temps. I frankly do just a lot of suspending. I don't even like it rising at all. Um, and actually, that's when I I cast the fly rod as much then as any other time of the year, strictly because that is my number one way of keeping a bait at a specific depth at whatever speed I want it to be is with the fly. So. And so I find yeah. that as tactic late. And there's a couple of baits that have come out, definitely. 
Oh, I'll, I'll drop I'll drop an Andy Munts name in there. What's that? I'll drop an Andy Munts in there and give Munts some credit on those castable flies. Yeah, you they're can good. Those, they hop. You can work they those hop really more than slow. to spend, but yeah, they're close. They're yeah. close for casting gear, at least. Yep, um, totally. It gives you it gives you that option for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with I, I agree with 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 that. Right, like if you are gonna. You know, if you are going to have a bait that's not a straight retrieve, yeah, I definitely like to slow it down. But if I have a straight retrieve bait in the fall, more often than not, I'm just adding a little more weight. Um, mm -hmm. If I need it to get a little deeper, I'm not slowing it down. I'm not doing that. I mean, it's funny, like, when I start going through my gear in the off season and you start, you know, like, Oh, I, that's right. I had that bucktail might need to get retired. It was bent a little too much. Like you start, I start going through my box and I start realizing like, I mean, what bucktail doesn't have some added weight to it right now? Like literally by the end of the season, <laughs> all of them are going to have that except for my couple of, you know, my, my go-to real skinny water ones. But um, but so many of my bucktails, they'll just keep adding weight, keep adding weight, keep adding weight. And I do that two different times of the year, right? I do that mid June into early July. Um, and then again, this time of year, um, you know, we're, we're, we're taking them off, you know, lately say, we're, we're taking them off and putting them back on. I will say later. that, uh, that I love throwing a, a basically unweighted bucktail that just bulges the water on small rivers and tributaries 90% of the time. Um, just to just force that water, make a wake. When you see a wake behind a wake, you know there's a fish there. And uh, more often than not, when you're fishing small, skinny water where you're trying to avoid snags and you're trying to keep your bait up high, a nice light bucktail that you can barely keep from blowing out on the surface is a really good bait to throw in uh in shallow water and that, that was throughout the course of the year honestly we were moving fish uh we went and fished uh, one of my rivers up north this weekend and we were bulging bucktails and moving fish on bulging baits we even threw out a, a smoker ss shad and fished it as a topwater bait and that's crankbait and we just ripped it on the surface and had a fish blow up on the surface on the crankbait. So there's there's a lot of ways that you don't just because it's crankbait doesn't mean you have to straight retrieve it and drive it down. You can you can rip a crankbait on the surface and make a topwater frog looking bait out of it, uh, especially a squirrely SS that's got a tail on it. Just rip it, let it pause, rip it, let it pause, shallow water. Um, I, one thing I was going to I was going to mention as you were talking about bucktails and adding weight, uh, I started thinking about the old uh in fisherman vhs tapes that i grew up watching and uh i remember watching al linder uh take a bucktail and rip a rubber uh, core sinker rip the rubber out of a rubber core sinker and just crimp a sinker to his to his bucktail so he could burn it faster in the summer months and just bulge that bucktail super fast on the surface and I'll tell you what, man, those those old timers back in those days, a lot of those guys were far ahead of their time uh, watching Al Linder and Dan Sura and Dave Sonda 
and uh, Larry Dahlberg and uh, James Linder and Ron Linder and all those guys, uh, they really had tactics dialed in that didn't even exist at that time. They were really, really advanced and far ahead of their game. And there's stuff that I still apply to my everyday fishing. I could even recite you some of those some of those uh, those VHS tapes. I could tell you about Al Linder's first muskie that he caught on Grindstone Lake. Because tell you what, guys, let me tell you about the first muskie I ever caught. It was on an bar <laughs> out there on Grindstone Lake up there in Hayward, Wisconsin. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I'm my buddy. I, my buddy caught one on a Billy Finn bucktail, and I caught one on a Pikey Minnow. Yes, and I, and I will tell you, I probably watched those exact same videos. I don't know how many times. I'm pretty sure I had that VHS stretched out. I would come home from up north, you know, from a week of being up there with my buddy, and pop that thing in, and I'd be sitting in the basement tying bucktails and doing the same thing, going through the old man's tackle box, trying to find all the heaviest and oldest, ugliest rubber core sinkers, ripping the rubber yep. out of them and pinching them on the tails of those bucktails. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So a lot Yeah, of we have a lot of new gadgets now, but um none it's, of it's it's just got reinventing there. the old. It's yep. reinventing the old. And none I always the... say I always tell people, you know, I throw a lot of old school baits. I fish reef hogs and wade's wobblers and bobbies and and a lot of those old school dive and rise baits. And and I'll tell you what, sometimes what's old is new. If the, the new school fish haven't seen the old school baits. If your bait's more than 20 years old, there's a chance that fish have never seen it before. <laughs> like, those muskies <laughs> don't live forever, you know? Like, and that I've even caught fish recently on a pikey minnow. I've caught them on a, a billy fin bucktail. I lost a giant on a billy fin. Now, granted, uh, I got it to the net, and the billy fin bucktail just exploded and broke into, like, five pieces. But I caught one on a billy fin bucktail that was, like, a 30-year-old bucktail, and they still that shit still works. I mean, you got to give it credit. A lot of those bait makers were innovative, and everything that we think of now has probably already been thought of. Uh, it's just using modern technology to make old technology better. Um but I will say a lot of those old school baits, I'll tell you another thing that I do when we're talking about lead. Now on old school refogs, I fish 10 and 12 inch refogs. And on that front treble, I add a full one ounce bell sinker to the front treble hook. Now I'll give that little tidbit of information away, but that's, if you were to look back on the history of muskie fishing, that, I'm not giving anything away. Guys have been doing that for decades, adding, they would take solder and wrap it around their trebles I was, just, add, I was just going to uh, ask that kind of a dumb, okay, as Fisher question, how you add in weight. And that was one of the things that came to mind was yeah, wrapping and solder. I just, in the, in the fall time, like Brian was saying, I'll take those old reef hogs. I really like the 10 and 12 inch ones because I really like working those down and slow, especially as the year progresses. And I will put that three quarter ounce to one ounce treble or a one ounce uh, bell sinker on that front treble and I'll just split ring it on there and it adds a ting to that front hook and it bounces off the wood and makes a knocking sound as you're ripping that bait and it drives the nose down and it decreases the rise on that bait. So you rip it down, it rises slow. You rip it down, it rises slow in a reef hog. I'll tell you what, everybody that I've ever fished with that has seen me catch a fish on a reef hog 
will tell you that's the dumbest bait they've ever seen in their entire life. <laughs> it's They're a like, that baseball doesn't bat. Doesn't make any sense <laughs> because all it does is just it, it. It really doesn't have a rhyme or reason. It, it bobs, it dies, and goes side to side. It's literally no different than taking uh, a mini baseball bat and throwing it out in the water and just working it and making it work. Uh, sometimes fish are just uh, fish of opportunity. They see something moving, they're going to eat it. You could probably catch a muskie on a stick if you really were in the right place at the right time. Um, but I will say a lot of what guys are missing nowadays is what is old. Take that old technology, apply your skill sets that you have acquired over the years to that old technology and learn how to tune your baits. People don't have patience. They don't want to tune shit anymore. They want a bait that's perfect out of the box and they just want to throw it and want it to be the best bait they've ever had in their lives. And everything looks great. Well, what looks great to you doesn't necessarily look great to the fish. You have to remember that. Lures are made to catch more fishermen than they are to catch fish. <laughs> but I will always say those old school wooden baits have variances in the grain of the wood. You might have a knot in that wood. You might have a little bit of a variance in one side or the other. And sometimes it's not for the better, but a lot of the times it can be if you just take the time to tune that bait and add a little weight here, take a little weight off here and maybe bend your tail on your suet or maybe make a homemade lip guard on your diving rise so you can drive it into the rocks and not destroy your bait. You know, just use a little bit of innovation sometimes. Not everything should be handed to you, okay? We're not going to give you everything. Just take a little <laughs> bit of time and figure this out for yourself. Just take the time to apply what you've learned over the years and go, hey, I think I can adjust that bait to spring, summer, and fall tactics. Because you certainly can. I could take that, that bell sinker off the front treble on a refog and fish it in the spring and keep that bait up high in shallow water during post-spawn when fish are migrating back to the main lake basin out of a, out of a river. But as the year progresses, if I want to fish a, a deeper cut off a weed edge or a rock, uh, rock edge, then I can drive that bait down with a little bit of weight. I used to take, do you guys remember those uh, Storm made those stick-on weights back in the day? Mm -hmm. Those things are awesome. Those things are awesome. If you could find those. I still have you some. Buy, yeah, I, I got like 10 packs of them because I stocked up on them. I found them on eBay. But those Let things can really make a glide bait or a jerk bait or they can make it for any time of the year. <laughs> Lead tape is something I've I've played with on and off over the years. That works yeah. good. And I heard you mentioned solder, right? I've wrapped yeah. that around and, and played with that a couple times. Um I've even taken like I was really messing around a couple of years ago, just like to give you the idea, right? I've never stopped tinkering because I think sometimes you can you can even make some of the old stuff really neat as well. I mean, just like looking at the weight differences, right? I just kind of listed off like right the bell sinkers on a on a split ring and the tape and the solder. That's all great. Well, now we have a bunch of baits that have screw in weight systems and and they're they're placed. You know, these bait makers generally the ones that have those are really really genius engineers um like h2o tackle roger waters the guy who makes yeah. that stuff great I mean, dude just, great dude just unbelievable like the science behind where the weight is and how to play with it i mean he's even got it where one of his top waters a walk the dog top water you adjust the weight on the top of the bait 
Mm -hmm. right? So that you can get more of it. It's got a flat side of a walk the dog topwater. So you can actually flop that, that side down and make a whole different type of noise, right? So you can play around with that. And it's a little easier now with some of the baits, like, right, Suix. I mean, they're screwing harness, they're screwing inserts on Suix. And you can play, you can go from an unweighted to a weighted with the same one. Even on top of all of that stuff, you know, Mike, Mike was, was talking about, like, I can make it do this, I can make it do that. It's not just limited to... Like, don't ever stop tinkering if you're really playing this game. So, like, I have been building my own Red October, you know, tube harnesses, the harnesses for them, for years. I don't think I will ever have, you know, the perfect one, you know, that's going to cover all situations and this and that. I've got, like, seven different variations of the rear hook blade attachment. Like some of them involve a clevis from like a bucktail. So it's spinning around back there. Others are just on, you know, a swivel and it's a wivelo blade, a Colorado, all that stuff. Now I love tubes. So that's why I'm kind of going off on them a little bit. But <laughs> I mean, I've even, I wish I would I've got, I've got some of the secrets. I won't even, there's no way I'll tell you about some of them. Um, but because they really are crazy, but I'll give this one. I mean, if you have an old glider that the paint is garbage, you don't like the color or whatever, even if you do, shove one of those in a tube. All right, take the hooks off, shove it in, poke all the hook hangers out through that tube, and then, yeah, just send me a note and say thanks later on because that <laughs> that right there is one of the coolest deals I've ever, ever ever experienced and i'm not even done playing with that at all because i too we were t the reason i thought about that was the weight right the first time i tried it it was garbage <laughs> until i went well wait a minute i gotta change some stuff up in here so i've actually got like weight shoved inside the tube up near the front of the head of the glider and then i've got one on the front hook hanger and now i've got a bait that i've never seen i'm not gonna tell you what the glider is in there but <laughs> i've never seen a bait work how this bait works right and i love the erraticness of of tubes i love you know i love making my stuics be really erratic and all that stuff this thing puts them all to shame right and it's just something i'm just starting to, to, to mess with i still haven't fully you know got it sorted out and you granted, guys heard uh, it first. It's the Myrick special out there. Yeah, I was just about to say. Now one guy's going to listen. You better to put it. a patent on that, Brian. Yeah, yeah by February we're going to have uh, two different bands selling these. I, I distinctly uh, remember Brian uh, years ago. You and I went fishing. I think we were fishing. I want to say we were on Okachi. We went to the hideaway after a fishing tournament or something and we're hanging out at the bar and I was talking to you about how I had been altering spinner baits. You, you probably don't remember this, <laughs> but I was telling you about how I was taking tieable leader material and tying it off and running it through a twister tail and having a stinger hook on the end of a twister tail on a spinner bait. And I remember one of the guys, I was using Cortland tieable leader material, which is kind of the kind of a new thing back in that time, being able to tie a leader like that. And I remember 
I don't remember who it was, but somebody was like, man, that's, that's, that sounds awesome. And, uh, I remember you looking at the guy and going, see, I told you Mike, but I know a couple of things. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. We were on the bell actually. Was and then, bell? yeah. And then we went somewhere right downtown there, but I do actually remember that conversation because when we left, my kid was with me and he, he called back then he called you tattoo Mike. And so he goes, he goes, tattoo Mike. Calls me. <laughs> he goes, tattoo Mike likes, he likes to tinker too. And I said, yeah, I go, buddy, you're going to learn over time. Right. Um, those little differences, right. And those, 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 those become so key in the difference between, you know, I caught 10 fish this year as opposed to the numbers that, you know, guys, like Mike and I are probably putting in the boat. Um, you see, you guys see this bait right here? <laughs> I got 30 fish on this one lure this year. Wow. 30 fish on one bait. And uh, Jeremiah Wolf can attest to about 15 of those on this one fucking bait. <laughs> He's seen it happen. <laughs> and he, he was just, I can't. I'll tell you what. Um, old school bait one of my favorite bait makers in the world and it's wade wit uh makes wade's wobblers which is what this is and wade the other day i was telling wade i said wade i swear to god you're responsible for me catching a, a, a vast majority of my fish over the last several years and he goes mike i'm just uh i'm just a craftsman he said, you're the tradesman. You, you fine-tune those tools. I just give them to you. And I said, well, that's the, one of the coolest compliments I ever had is that my favorite bait maker said, I make the bait, you make it better, basically. <laughs> I, I really took that to heart because I thought that was really cool because Wade's been making baits for the last 40-plus years now. And that bait that I just showed you guys is 45 years old. And uh, I actually found it at – a resale shop in Mayville. And uh, there's a little resale shop in downtown Mayville in Dodge County. And the, every once in a while, some oddball fishing stuff pops up in there. And there just so happened to be three of those baits in there. And I had absolutely no idea what they were. I just thought they looked cool. And I said, well, screw it. They're like five bucks a piece. Went out, fished them, caught some fish. And then I, uh, had to contact my fish encyclopedia, which is uh, Steve Jonasy. That guy knows every lure that's ever been made ever. And um, he's like, oh, that's a, that's an old school Wade's Wobbler. And uh, I've been hooked on him ever since. And I probably have more of a Wade's Wobbler co collection now than Wade has himself after 40 years of making them. So, <laughs> 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 but, um, you know, just that. Uh, Sometimes, like I was saying, that what's old is new. You find an old school bait, you learn how to fish it, and then uh, you make it work and you adjust it to the time of the year that you're fishing. Um, and I've, I, I will say that's a really, really good bait to be using late season in the fall where you can – that bait pulls down. What he does, he uses um, western cedar, red cedar, and he, he kiln dries it, so it's super buoyant. 
And that bait, you pull it down and it rises back in such a way that it actually almost moves as far backwards as it did forward. A lot of diving rise baits, you just pull them and they barely rise back or they just slowly drift back and maybe you get a half of a drift back out of them. But that bait is so buoyant that as soon as you pull it down, it drifts back into the strike zone and it turns neutral fish into aggressive fish because it puts the bait directly in their face. They have no choice but to eat it. It's almost as if you're antagonizing them. And I've had fish on diving rise, not just the wades, but on a suic and on a bobby, where they'll actually follow the bait and they'll do the same motion as the bait. They'll dive with it, they'll back up with it, they'll dive with it, they'll back up with it. And then as soon as you make like one or two quick rips on it, that'll trigger them just enough to to charge up on it and strike it. And uh, that was really the ticket this this past weekend, um, fishing with Justin Johnson. Uh, I was throwing that, that bait and I was like, I'm sick of seeing fish. We just need to catch them. I'm sick of seeing them. I don't want to see them anymore. If we see them, that means they're not eating. And sure enough, uh, that diving rise dives down, rises back up. Literally, as it hits the surface right in front of the boat, fish comes up and just absolutely T-bones it. And I, there wasn't a word said because it was right in front of his face. It wasn't like, oh, I got one. Get the net. It was just like silence. <laughs> fish is going nuts, jumping around. And uh, we didn't say a word for like 30 seconds until the fish was in the net. But to get back to, I don't know, I got carried away. Sorry. <laughs> back to, to fall fishing. <laughs> adjust those baits to accommodate the season we're fishing that that was the point i was trying to make sure well the baits have evolved from drilling holes in them and pushing weight and lead into them and sealing the holes and or even putting things on treble hooks to adjustable weights that, that's this all is true but yeah. i still do all that tinkering sure stuff. i'm never gonna stop doing <laughs> it. no because it's part of the fun and <laughs> let's be honest winter can be kind of long when you're waiting to go musky fishing so there's oh, a lot man. of time to tinker. You're telling me. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> how many places to go chase them all winter? <laughs> That's true. I already got two trips planned. The cool. season's not even over. <laughs> tell you what, I've caught them. I've caught them on December 31st in the southern zone at 8 o'clock at night. <laughs> four hours before the season's over i was gonna say right at the end <laughs> and then uh and then i went out and ice fished the same day <laughs> so <laughs> i'm not i'm not giving up on muskies until i can't i'll if i can't i'll be fishing them until the losses i can basically and if uh december 31st is the day they close that's the day i'll be fishing until um, I'm fine with giving them a break the rest of the, you know, the winter into the spring and laying off them on the spawn. I don't want, I don't want to be harassing spawning fish. And that's just my personal opinion, but there's still some fish that are going to be rearing and gearing and ready to eat in middle of to late December. And, uh, I'm going to be out there fishing for them, whether if I can make five casts before my gear freezes up and everything goes to hell, or if I can make 10 casts, I'm going to make those five to ten cast count <laughs> at least try it you know you don't know if you don't go that's the old saying sure i think we covered dive and rise baits pretty well um 
<laughs> what about sucker fishing? You know, I mean, I remember doing it a little bit as a kid with very little to no success because we weren't fishing lakes. We were fishing rivers and current and it just, we were never in the right kind of water. I don't think to, to fish them, but you know, talk to us about using suckers, what that gear looks like and kind of rigs and what size suckers. I mean, I think, I think you really, the reins on this. I think you really nailed it, you know, on the head of you weren't fishing an area conducive to suckers that doesn't mean you shouldn't be musky fishing that time of year in that area. So I think there's a lot of guys, like when I was saying, like I can be the only one fishing really shallow at certain parts of the fall. It's frankly because working a sucker in there is a pain in the butt. I mean, truly an absolute nightmare and a chore, but do I do it sometimes? You bet. Because they still eat a sucker right up there. Um, But you know, more of the traditional fall, you know, definitely you can start running suckers right now. No, no doubt about it. Um, how big, I, how big of a sucker would you run like right now? Yeah. Right now I'm not running anything big. Frankly, if I can find some six inch red tail Creek chubs, I'm going to grab those. Um, okay. and they live, they're a little hardier than a sucker too. So I keep them alive a lot longer. Um, I might know of a place but, locally that you could probably catch them out of the river even. Yeah. I got my own supplies. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, you gotta be, you gotta be careful here, Greg. You can't transport bait now. Right, right, right. Even I got my, I got, I got my spot where I'm all legal. I confirmed it all. <laughs> and so um, DNR biologist yeah. tuning in right now. Yeah. <laughs> but, they, um, but yeah, I, I traditionally in the, in the early part of the fall, right. I'm pretty small. Um, and a lot of those are just the old classic rubber band through the nostrils with a circle hook. And that's it. Just, that's it. Um, sometimes I'll run like a Smitty type of a rig with one treble through the back and that's it. Um, just a one hook rig on those smaller ones. That's all you need. They're fitting that whole thing in there and it's going in quick. So that thing's gotta be hit right away. I don't care which way the fish is facing with those size of live bait. When I'm using that, if I miss the fish, I miss the fish because if you wait, at all um on that smaller live bait you're 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 really starting to play with fire you're gambling big time um if you miss the fish you miss it trust me how many did you miss casting a bait all year who cares if you missed one on a sucker especially when you're talking about those tiny small ones it's not like they cost 25 bucks like a big one now as far as as the fall progresses well then we're starting to change our sucker size a little bit and that the body of water I'm on is going to dictate the size of that sucker as much as that water temp as well. So I'll give you some of the Waukesha County examples. I would never go out on Okachi with a 12 inch or less sucker after turnover. You're just going to be feeding pike and catching pike on something. I mean, you got to go bigger out there. Um, whereas Pewaukee, I personally rarely will even run a 12 inch. <laughs> so really? I may not even get that big. Once in a while, I'll throw one in, right? A couple of years ago, I had a biggest muskie I've ever seen on an inland lake. Um, it was on Pewaukee. 
it T-boned a 31-inch muskie that had just grabbed my sucker. And so I knew that my little 8-inch suckers that I had in the boat probably weren't going to seal the deal on that guy. And so I literally called Smokies, and I'm like, I need you to set aside the two biggest in the tank. I'm on my way over right now, blah, blah, blah. And, um, yeah, we went and got those. I had to tie up some new sucker rigs for it. I did get that fish to eat. And like a moron, I set the hook a second time and I felt it. I was like, "Uh oh, that was a little too much juice there. And uh, I came back with two straightened (laughs) hooks on that one. So, um, yeah, that one hurt a little bit. And that was a classic, like early November, 70 some degrees, uh, no wind, shouldn't be catching anything. And I had two encounters with the biggest inland muskie i've ever seen in my life and she was sitting on the same spot opening day the next year and she came following (laughs) in i still can't believe the size of that fish but i don't know of a single person that caught it because you would have heard about it it was that big Hmm. yeah but yeah that, uh... that 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 just shows you right like even then like okay the adage is don't go big don't go big Okay, now I got to make a little change here because he encountered something. But, but yeah, I, I I definitely start smaller on the suckers, and then I start going bigger. And again, the the body of water that I'm on really is going to dictate, especially in in the Waukesha County area. Now, if I go hop on, you know, a, a river or something like that generally try to match what I believe is in that river. Well, if I know there's a lot of real big suckers in there. I'm going to run a pretty big one in that river. Whereas if they don't have a ton of big suckers in there, I'm going to, I'm going to match it as much as I can. Um, and then, you know, as far as, I, I mean, I don't do as much sucker fishing as most, but or I shouldn't say as most, but as a lot of people, but I have definitely toyed around with it enough to say that just like with regular baits, tinkering around and sucker fishing is really a lot of fun. So you can add the blades on there. Um, I mean, one of the most simple little mods I've ever seen was years ago, Rob Manthe would spray paint the weight that he had to keep, you know, the weight on the sucker rod. He'd spray paint that like chartreuse or orange or something. And then like wow that one's getting hit more than the other one like that's interesting right (laughs) and so you start thinking about all those things and like i said the blades and then you know you you can put a blade up by the leader you can put a dozer blade right in front of the thing's you know face you can shove one in its body and have it sitting off the tail and that's just blades then you get into our the fun ice fishing stuff right the powders magic powder (laughs) like if you're not if you're not making the tail of your sucker one of your suckers out there flowage green or chartreuse or something like that you're missing out need some glow in the dark suckers man hey that does work so they do make a glow in the dark magic powder 
and you put that on the sucker, not only just like those neon green worms, <laughs> not only does it work, it's pretty funny when you fool your buddy and you don't, you know, you shut the clicker off. So you bring that sucker right in and you put it out in the water out in front of him by the boat. And all of a sudden he catches this glowing thing sitting out there. It'll freak him out. He's done it a couple times, but yeah, don't, you know, the tinkering really in the musky game, in my opinion, should never end. Um, and, and that's not to say you have to, it's not to say you have to go do that either. Right. I mean, no, you don't. No, you, you don't. can grab not a map number five bucktail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You, you can grab a MAPS number five bucktail, take it out of the box, sharpen the hook up a little bit, and you'll probably go catch 10 muskies in a season if yeah, you pop I've it. Caught, I've caught probably one of my favorite bucktails that's ever existed is the original MAPS muskie killer. I mean, yep. to this day, one of the best muskie bucktails that's ever been made. And I'm talking no catching, about it. catching fish on big water, small water, it doesn't matter. Just a small number five french blade it just it just works you can't argue with success oh no i was fishing it's like a, a booker 700 you know it's the same thing it's a single fluid indiana <laughs> i was fishing one of my one of my i don't know yeah it's probably in my top 10 favorite lakes in northern wisconsin and <clears throat> my dad calls me and he's like he's like are you out there i'm like yeah and he's like he's like did you see a guy sitting on his dock when you were in that one corner and I'm like, yeah, he goes, that's my buddy. He said, I'll show you some stuff. So I picked this guy up who's 81 years old and he hops in the boat with one rod and he's got two lures. It's funny that Mike just mentioned this Booker 700 too. <laughs> he had a Booker 700 and he had a Mets musky killer. They were both all black, right? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, the, the, the blade was re you know, he spray painted it back and all that. And I'm like, I'm like, what else do I need? And he's like, oh, sometimes you need one with an orange blade. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and then he's showing me how to fish the lake and this and that. And, um, you know, I got a 43 and a half incher this year and it was not on that. It was on a, on a nano or a, a rattle rage, uh, from Rocky point. Um, but it's small bucktail, right? I got a 43 and a half inch, you know, the lake doesn't get stocked. They're all native. So, you know, a 43 and a half inch native is just a complete psychopath. Yep. And, um, and it was just, uh, I just had to laugh like after it, I was like, not that I wouldn't have been throwing that, but definitely every time I put on that body of water, I think to myself, don't, Overcomplicate this, right? If you're this guy, uh, this guy showed me the tactic he'd been using for sixty years on that lake. He kept it <laughs> simple. It didn't work, you know. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Simple. That reminds me so much of our buddy uh, Tim Jenkinson. Yeah, uh, TJ. Oh, summer, fall, matter. Red and black, single treble bucktail. Uh, a Maps red and black bucktail. <laughs> A Booker 700 red and black bucktail. As long as it's red and black and it's got one blade, that's that's all he'll throw all year round and he'll catch fish. And that's what he's been doing for like 30 years. <laughs> I got to give the guy credit because it works for him and it's awesome. And I don't, I've never met anybody in my life that fishes a red and black 
Blocktail better than Tim Jenkinson. So shout out to you, TJ. <laughs> Man, I think I think a lot of it's just the confidence in the bait too. Like totally I'll, totally I'll take my orange belly black tiger striped suic any body of water and I'll catch muskie on it. It could be the a little it's puddle because it's all you're gonna throw. Yeah, it's just you, you have to make it work. <laughs> yep, exactly. It's the confidence in that lure. Like that's my favorite lure. Oh, I can't catch anything. Well, make gas later. Yep. <laughs> Oh, I'm gonna well, put the suit back on. I know a guy that's uh, in his early seventies, been musky fishing forever, and he said to me last summer, "You know, I've never caught a musky on a bucktail." But I went, "Huh? Really? Well, he never throws them <laughs> 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 because that's of what good. Matt just said, though." It's exactly why, though, because he has his baits that have continuously worked, and the guy catches plenty of fish. He just doesn't have a need to. Now, when no one else is throwing a topwater and everyone's throwing a bucktail and a swim bait or whatever, he's throwing a topwater. You know, middle of summer, this and that, and you know, all that. But, you know, again, uh, another thing, if you're – newer into musky fishing and you're listening to this surround yourself as much as you can with some of the guys who've been doing this and i'm not talking about a guy who's my age right in his 40s like there's definitely stuff to be learned from from guys in that age range i I could hang out with old timers all day long for more reasons other than musky fishing oh for sure right (laughs) i mean definitely stories alone than most, most people our age i'll tell you that there's there's a lot there's a lot to be learned to just you know and and if one starts talking just shut up exactly. don't try to add your stuff in and whatever because they're gonna get frustrated about hearing about the new this the new that the whatever um and i've just learned to just there's been i've learned from a couple of just legendary old timers in the Northwoods, some that people know about some that you know are you know they're 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 pretty quiet and and you don't really ever hear of them but you hear the story about that one guy or this or that like i literally spent a lot of time seeking those people out and well, doing what just, i could to get in their boat it's respect man you got to have respect you got to give it where it's earned and yeah. um, i'll tell you what i'll uh I'll let our buddy Tim, by the by the time he's got three glasses of wine in, I'll let him talk. I'll shut the hell up. I, I don't care what he, – he might be talking about politics or he might be talking about musky fishing, but either way, I'm still going to respect whatever the hell he has to say because I like the guy a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, sometimes and there, it's, it's just there's a lot to learn. But it's also right. respect, you know, like I – your elders there's a reason why you know they they were innovative and they figured things out and they made it work and they stuck with what worked and and um why reinvent the wheel why fix it if it's not broken type of thing you know so like i was touching on earlier sometimes what's old is new sometimes we need to revert back to those old guys and those old timers that you know maybe their wisdom is a little bit better than ours after all you know stop being stubborn listen to your Listen to your old man. Listen to your grandpa. Listen to the old timer at the bar. You know, shoot the shit with those guys. Get to know them. Have fun with them. Buy them a drink. You know, like, they'll give you a little bit. They're not going to give you everything, but those are great guys. And 
you know, unfortunately, we're going to lose them more and more and more, and eventually we're going to be those old farts. I, I've seen I've seen Brian's beard getting a little bit grayer every time I see him now. Ooh, it's, very, it's very gray these days. There's no doubt about that. No, I think I think that though, like, I think there's a lot to be said for that, right? Like, there is that old and take some of that, but I think really the anglers that you're seeing excel, you know, in today's age. Um, they took that, they looked at the new stuff we've learned, right? That those guys didn't know, right? Because there has been some things that that we've learned over time. And and frankly, you know, <coughs> fisheries have changed as well. You don't, you don't keep a 22 in the boat anymore, Brian? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we don't. We don't we don't tie them off with our dock rope and bring them back to the dock anymore either. But they, uh, I wonder how many boats have been sunk over the years because of that. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I think it's important, right? In this game, it is important. It is important to grab the old, take the new, right, and and make your own with it. Anyone can go get anyone can go get in a conga line on a really good musky lake. And follow everyone and throw the same, you know, bait out of the package and you're going to catch fish. There's no doubt about it. If you follow all those things, you will. But there's nothing cooler than catching fish when there's no one around on a pressured body of water. You know, in my opinion, that's that's what I I love doing that. Right. I love being where there is no one else and whatever. I've, I've actually... I won a tournament with a lot of boats on the lake, and they're like, where the hell were you guys? I go, well, there ain't that many places to hide. You know, I mean, it's pretty <laughs> wide open on Pewaukee Lake, and um, there's just no one expected, you know, us to be where we were. Um, and it was just, again, you know, and that was a classic take an old – they wanted the old wood pacemaker is what they wanted. They didn't want the plastic version. They didn't want anything else. They wanted the old wood pacemaker. And, um, yeah, we, I just, I, I don't think anyone was under 10 feet of water and I don't think my boat was in any deeper than four that day. Um, <laughs> but we were also done in an hour I can hour take, a, half, I can so. take <laughs> a guess at where you were, but I'm not going to do oh, it. Yeah. Um, but I, me personally, I just like to go where the people aren't always. Yeah. Um, and I'm always yep. going to do that. <laughs> and and then sometimes it suits me and a lot of the times it doesn't. But I will say that one thing that I take pride in is the adventure aspect of going out there and fishing a body water where they don't exist, where people don't fish muskies there. Or oh, I heard about one there once, but seen it well that's good enough to get me going <laughs> oh if there's if there's one there's more i'm going I, i'll i'll go anywhere and i'll fish muskies anywhere um but i like to get off the beaten path i like to go to places where people typically haven't been and uh if i catch a 30 inch fish to me that's a 50 inch victory you know that's the way i look at it um i don't always have to catch the biggest fish i just want to catch fish where it feels the most natural and nature-esque and, and it's a, a nice place to be where I can clear my head and actually enjoy nature and enjoy, enjoy everything for more than just the fishing. Obviously I want to catch the fish, but you know, if I'm going off a, 
a lonely river up in the north woods and there's a few of them down in the southern zone too where you won't see anybody muskie fishing at all if see anybody fishing at all and i catch a fish i think that's one of the coolest victories ever might be a little victory but little victories add up you know and uh that's way more enjoyable to me than going out and winning a tournament or beating anybody at anything it's not a, a to me i'm not trying to i'm not trying to win anything it's a battle against me you know and if you if you're going to be a musky fisherman your worst competitor is yourself because you want to be able to to prove that you can do better than the last fish that you caught that's that's what it is to me is just going out there finding a fish where they don't exist traveling all over the place. I've caught muskies in several different states now. I've caught muskies in places where most people wouldn't go um, or don't want to take the time to go. And I don't blame them because I've gotten stranded. I've gotten stuck in the mud with my truck. I've gotten <laughs> into some pretty hairy situations. Um, but then again, the other day we we're driving through the woods trying to find a, a boat launch on one of the lakes up in no man's land and we're driving through the woods and I was like, you know what, dude, I have a 20 year old truck with a quarter of a million miles on it and the frame is rotted. And if this thing snaps right here and now we're leaving this thing out here, I don't give a shit. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the fun part of, of having, you know, like, I always say if I had a brand new boat and a brand new truck and I had a, a bunch of money that was expendable and I could go out there and have all this stuff, like, I, I don't know if I would even, like, the my my mentality would be, I, I don't even want to use it because I'd be afraid to scratch it or put a dent in it, you know? Now, this boat behind me is 33 years old and it still floats and I still catch fish out of it and then I got a 1987 force outboard on it's a chrysler outboard and it's supposedly the worst outboard ever made and it's the best outboard i've ever had <laughs> <laughs> that you one know, was like, not made it, on a monday or a friday <laughs> <laughs> it makes it you know it makes it fun because you know what if it breaks down it breaks down i it is what it is you know what i'll just scrape a few bucks together buy another beater truck or another beater boat and I'll get my ass back out there and I'll keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And I'll have a hundred trucks in my lifetime that keep breaking down. But that to me is just as much fun as, as anything else. It's just the, <laughs> the unknown of whether or not I'm even going to make it. <laughs> yeah. And that's sometimes that can be on uh, the uh, suburban Metro launches when you're fishing those last days of December and you get out and go, Oh boy. So the last three people that pulled out, they just pulled out nice and fast and nice the ramp up for us. What do we got in the truck? You know? That is true. That is something that I don't typically deal with. And I didn't think about that. That's a valid point. Well, <laughs> There's something to think about for fall, right? If you do fish late into the fall, throw some kids Yeah. Yeah. Up there, but down here, they're not. And, uh, I'll tell you what, that Oconomowoc ramp can be nasty oh, if it's someone already, pulls out real fast. It's already slick as snot the way it is. Exactly. Yeah. And now you add in a little ice cover on top of something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you are pulling out in the fall, pull your boat, 
So it just gets, you know, your bunks or, you know, your rollers are just out of the water. So your boat's probably still over top of it. Let as much of that drain off. Well, those and concrete then... slabs are just far enough apart for your truck tires to get stuck in them. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, I had an old shitty Chevy Blazer that was rear-wheel drive. And that son of a bitch got stuck between two of those concrete slabs. And I had to, had to have somebody pull me out of there because <laughs> I was just burning rubber trying to get out of there. Yep. I, yeah, I was that probably a real deal. deal. You know, that becomes a real deal late in the season that you really have to prepare for and think about. And um, I've more than once, I've been on one of the last boats on some of the various lakes, you know, on the last possible day, breaking ice and this and that. And, I'll just say if you do get start to get into that game, right, be smart, right? There was one time it was a little dicey getting back to the ramp. It had locked up that hard. Um, and, and that was an early year. That was like December, I think, 11th, if I remember right. Just crazy that we were locked out after that. Um, but, you know, be smart, right? I mean, it, it is awesome. It's awesome breaking. I, I mean, if you got it, you know. Listen, I keep, I keep wheel chocks in the back of my truck because I don't have an e-brake because it rusted out, all right? <laughs> so, it's probably a good idea for everybody to have one of those, especially if you live in Wisconsin and you drive an automatic transmission where you don't yep. use your e-brake all the time. Uh, keep a wheel chock or a piece of wood or something. I'm not even joking at this point, honestly. It, you, I've seen my truck start slipping backwards before I was loading my boat up, and I was like, oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I need to put a chalk underneath there, and that's why I started doing it. Mike's not just end up because on I a, don't have an e-brake. Mike will be on qualified captain as a boat ramp champ if he's not careful. <laughs> yeah, that was Just actually, anything else on the fall? You guys What's that? Anything else on the fall you guys wanted to touch on? No, I think we, I think we hammered it pretty good. Unless I was going to ask you guys if you had a little, you know little spiel you wanted to say about fall fishing man it's you know kind of wrap everything up here yeah i can do a quick one here just i think the most i think the most important part of fall um is to not get stuck into the well it's october 10th so the fish should be doing blank blank and blank just like any other time of year you have to read them Right. If you're not seeing any bait and you were expecting to see some bait on the outside weed edge, for example, let's say that's what you were thinking. Don't beat your head up don't bang your head against the wall and just keep doing it over and over. If you're not seeing what you thought you were going to see there, if you have a good theory and you have experience behind it and you know that there's fish there, but you're not seeing specifically stuff. Well, then you may, may be worth sticking it out a little bit longer and things like that. Um, but I think a lot of guys just get into this fall mode. I just hear it so often at the boat ramp or bait shop or wherever where it's like, boy, they just weren't going today. Well, what did you do? Well, I ran my suckers out in 16 feet while I casted the outside weed edge. Mm-hmm for six or eight hours you did that and you didn't have any action like 
that's what I mean where you would you rarely hear a guy doing that in the spring, right? Because in the spring, you've got no patience, right? You're just edgy and whatever. And you have the guys that are like, yeah, I fished, you know, anywhere from 25 feet to two feet. And I was doing this and that. That's I, that mentality shouldn't be all that different come fall, right? You want to find that middle point. But I, if I'm not seeing something within that first hour, I'm changing. I'm doing something way different because those fish are in feed mode in the fall. So that's why I think you got to make those adjustments a little quicker than in the summer or more of a neutral time. And so that's my biggest thing is like, don't get stuck in something. And what worked yesterday, it probably won't work tomorrow because they're muskies. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And I would, I would agree with that statement. And uh, just real quick before we run out of time here, um, when I started musky fishermen, when I started musky fishing, all the musky fishermen were would say, "Well, we're going to do this in the fall, and this in the fall, and this in the fall. And we're going to stick to this plan." Well, like to what Brian was saying, be willing to do everything that you did the rest of the year. Don't have to do everything in the fall. So it's okay to be okay, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That is a great way to end it. I love it. It is. Perfect. Uh-huh. Well, thanks, guys. We appreciate you uh, sharing all of your knowledge with us. Well, that was just the tip of the iceberg. We keep talking until the sun comes up, I'm sure. <laughs> we probably could. I don't know about you, but I uh, I feel a bit smarter after that episode just on how to tune a bait. What do you think? I think the same thing. I think uh, you guys are really going to get a, or you guys really got a kick out of this. I think it's only going to help you guys this fall chasing down those big fish. Agreed. You know, break that crusty old bait out of the box. Yeah, it's got some paint chips out of it, or maybe it hasn't been used a whole lot. Maybe you just threw it early on and just it wasn't the bait for you, or maybe it wasn't the bait for the fish. Maybe you weren't working it right. Maybe you didn't tune it right. Maybe it was never tuned right out of the box, but Get it out there, try it, start adding some solder to the hooks, start putting, <laughs> do do something, do anything. Even if it feels wrong, give it a try. Maybe it'll make it drift a little to the right or a little to the left, or maybe it'll float backwards right in the fish's face and they're going to want to crush it. Give it a try. Arts and crafts time, man. Arts anything you can do to help out catching fish, this is the time to try it. It is. And honestly, it's not just for muskies. I mean, tinkering, do it on your walleye baits. Do it on your bass baits. I mean, that's the fun part about fishing is you can tinker and come up with your own little wrinkle on how to make things work a little bit better and put a few more fish in your boat or kayak or on shore. However you're doing it, keep doing it and enjoy it. We'll see you. <laughs>